HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's October 18th, 2016. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We'll be talking about beer and barbecue and food and beer pairings tonight. Justin Kennedy, our producer, is on the show with us. Hey, what's up, Jimmy? All right, man. So you, you travel all over the place. You go to festivals. Yep. You know, what, what's the latest festival you went to? I just got back from the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado. And I bet there were some really interesting food and beer pairings. Yeah, they had a whole dinners. thing called Paired, which is a section of the festival where you can go out and have different little bites with different uh, beers. And it was a yeah really cool aspect that they introduced maybe two or three years ago. There's some great people that work on that with Julia Hertz. Yep. I don't know who, who else is involved, but... The they executive savor, chef is, savor in well, they do that in one in D.C. DC. Yeah, that's in uh, the early summer. But this is uh, kind of, I guess, a very similar idea um, to savor, but on a smaller scale. And, with you know, it's a festival within a festival. So it's, cool. a, it's a really cool thing. It's great. Thanks to our uh, sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. You can tweet us live at beer underscore sessions, Maggie's. Doing the tweets. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about beer and barbecue, food and beer pairings. we got our good buddy, Daniel Delaney. Hey. Uh, we first met. He was the fir- one of the first brisket kings of New York City winners <laughs> just when he was starting up Brisket Town a few years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. What is that? I guess that was three years ago now? Three, four years four ago? Four years ago, yeah. Yeah, long time. It was, you, you were on. It was, it was like the heyday, and, and the Mighty Quinn's had just opened. And you won the Judge's Award, and he won the People's Choice. Yep. But uh, th- you know, that was right when people started realizing, wow, and I think Hometown Barbecue was just opening. Mm-hmm. People were just starting to say, barbecue's coming. It really is, yeah. It, I mean, it, and, and it's gone so far in New York since then. I still have the crown. <laughs> it's sitting on, like, it's, it's hanging above my desk. It's one of, the, one of my, like, main trophies. One of the things I'm, I'm very proud of. Well, that was what was so cool is that when you were starting, you kind of brought a lot of media and, and you know, your own kind of chutzpah. You know, to to that event because you're opening up. Well, you got to fake it before you make it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I had no clue what I was doing. We just uh, bought it. I just got the smoker and dragged it up from Texas and thought I would, you know, try and convince New Yorkers that brisket would be a good thing to eat and and try and convince myself that owning a restaurant would be a reasonable career. You know, for aspiring restaurateurs and barbecue folk and, and even breweries because all breweries want to have barbecue or, or some food component you know what were some of your inspirations w- when you were just starting out like what made you want to smoke brisket i mean you you may make the best brisket in new york city <laughs> one year you did at the as brisket sure, king yeah, in new york city. yeah i you know um the interest in barbecue was because i was making videos and making videos about food and traveling the country and, and i got down to texas making these like web videos at the time this is like kind of youtube wasn't as big these were all going out on itunes and they were about food trucks and so i was like uh down in texas for a while and and that's when i first met well on the same trip i i it was like a tour de force i had both the brisket from louis miller barbecue 
out of Taylor, Texas. Not in Taylor, Texas. He was actually uh, part of. I don't know if you do you know Jane and Michael Stern, the uh, Road Food. Yeah, so we, yeah. yeah, we followed them. Yeah, so so Road Food does this festival in New Orleans. Road Food Festival. They bring a lot of heritage. Uh, uh, restaurants from the United States down there, and and to represent Texas, they pulled Wayne over from Louis Miller Barbecue, and he and I was just you know like I don't know how old I was young and very unfamiliar with the restaurant scene at the time, just trying to figure out how to make it as like a video journalist, and um, and Michael Stern brought me around and introduced me to all these people, and and Wayne just like covered in in like. In, in black pepper and grease and, and smoke, just like carved off this this like nugget of um, of fatty brisket and just gave it to me and I, I this is, we weren't rolling he just fed this to me I mean he didn't he didn't put it in my mouth he just handed it to me but, <laughs> but he yeah. wanted to <laughs> I, yeah and and uh, and it was it was just um, it was better than any it was better it was the best piece of meat that I had ever consumed. Like, it was just, it was sort of like, I didn't know, I mean, I'm sure it's like maybe the first time somebody has like a, like a craft beer after drinking just Budweiser their whole life or something like this, right? Like, the, like you you have this moment of discovery where you're like, shit, I, did, I don't know, I didn't know that uh, my mouth could do that. I didn't know my mouth could enjoy or, you know. And, and at this point, I was really just starting to get into the food scene in general. I, I, I wasn't reading Eater. I didn't know what was what was hot. You know, the, I was very naive at this moment. And so, uh, but, but I was clearly able to detect that this was remarkable. And it was. And, and, and it is today. It's still clearly one of the best in the world. You know what I mean? Uh, and we can say that, right? Because it's like, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it's, it is one of the best in the world. And then after that, I shot down to Texas and this is when I met Aaron from Franklin barbecue. And he was, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would have to dig and, and figure this out, but it, it, it must've been in his first few months of being open. You know, this was not, I mean, he was not the, the, the James Beard award winner headliner, you know, world-class chef that he was today. This is on the side of I-35 in a trailer. This is while the line was manageable. And he was also just getting started after doing ultimately what sort of what we eventually went on to do, which was sort of host all these events and such. And he was slinging equally amazing barbecue and, and seeing it really wasn't. I mean, the food was one part, but seeing the culture around barbecue, seeing how much, joy the food brought to people how how uh i mean it was a it was a type of like communal eating that growing up in new, new jersey like i didn't have that at all that 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 idea of of like getting around some type of food having it be a, a persistent part of your life it was just not at all part of what i ever experienced growing up and so i was equally in love and and enthralled with the food but also at the same time this uh, this togetherness that that, that that was prompted and sparked by this this food and the, and the traditions around it. I know I know some of those old like Mullers in particular, like those old great Texas barbecues. They kind of started out as butchers, didn't they? They were like Germans. They were butchers, and then they they were cooking off their extra cuts. Yeah, I mean, with with when we look at at the history of of Louis Miller Barbecue, they are they they basically started as um, a grocery store. And which had a, a meat section, and uh, and they had a lot of waste, uh, or they had food that needed to be preserved, and so they were pulling a lot of these these techniques from uh, from German and Czech ancestors for food preservation. At the same, I mean, it, and it's it's not it's not that clear of a story. There's also there are also other things happening in Texas at the time. There's a lot of rail, railways are being built. There's a lot of construction happening, and a lot of the folks that were working in construction at the time just needed sustenance. They needed lunch. They needed a hot lunch, and so these cheap cuts of meat, were, which would have gone to waste, were being cooked and served with whatever was available. And so, when you look at Texas barbecue and the history of it, often you're not seeing a rich history in sides. You're not seeing a rich history in sauce. And that's not because people were being defiant and, and petitioning against it. It's because you were eating this out of the back of a grocery store. And so what you could get in a grocery store was a jar of hot sauce, 
and use it. You could get some pickles. You could get a wedge of avocado, a wedge of onion, a wedge of cheese. And and a lot of the really historical places that are still around still honor a lot of those traditions. If you go to a place like Kreitz in uh, Lockhart, you won't find a drop of barbecue sauce. You could buy an avocado. You can get a few slices of brisket and eat an avocado with it or a raw onion or a, or a whole tomato, just like you would at a grocery store. But but you, you're not going to see barbecue sauce in a place like that. You know, there's one thing when we talk about food like this does make me want to drink. <laughs> whether, whether I'm going to have a little beer or wine mm-hmm. kind of finish my palate. Justin, what, what beer are we drinking? This seems like something that would go well with a yeah, brisket. kind of why I picked it. It's uh, called Unjunked. It's a new beer from Carton Brewing in uh, New Jersey. And it's uh, 8.5% uh, pretty hearty stout. And mm. I, I think this would definitely go really well with barbecue. It's got a lot of strong flavors. It's got some coffee flavors and some yep. chocolate flavors. And it's got a lot of booze. And I think it would stand up well to smoked brisket. It's great, and and it's something that I, like I was I was saying to Jimmy right before we got started, when we opened, we like it's only now after I guess like three and a half. Well, I mean the restaurant's four years old now, but it's only now that we're really starting to put energy into building a better beer list. Like you know when we when we got started, I mean the, the our, our restaurant Brisket Town in, in Williamsburg is so small. We don't have a lot of things there, like a draft system. We don't have walk-ins and whatnot. So we were very limited from the beginning as to, like, what we would be doing. And then on top of it, like, I didn't open this to – I I didn't get into this to open a restaurant. I just wanted to figure out how to smoke some meat. Like, very primitive thoughts at the time. So, like, you know, when we got the doors open and uh, people started walking in and they're asking for – like, you know, I I had no, no beer knowledge, no wine knowledge at the time. And so we really just at the at, historically just stuck with the the things that that seemed to be mainstream enough that people would want. Like we'd buy Lone Star because it's Texas. That makes sense. We'd buy Shiner because mm-hmm. Texas. I like Abita, so I was buying it because I have this you know hard on for New Orleans. I love it down there. And so, but th- but it, there was no there was no like formal education before be, behind how we were sourcing. We're trying to like even now like break out of that and become more mature with that selection. I think well, those are great barbecue beers. I mean, they're traditional. I think if you go to Texas, you're not going to find, you know, maybe, it, I don't know. I've never been to Franklin, but maybe there they have craft beer. I don't know. Uh, well, but it's hopefully the, today we can, yeah, taste through some beers that yeah. might, might be good for you. your shop. When I think about Texas, I always think about Jester King now. You yes. know, like his real <laughs> farm. They're in Austin, like a real farmhouse, right? you know, Saison type mm-hmm. brewery that's working with a farm and farm ingredients. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. No, Jester I haven't. King. Yeah, I mean that's and there's what what are some styles like that that, that you could get in New York New York City? I mean, you can get Jester King every once in a while in New York City, but um, I'm trying to think who uh, nearby does similar things to Jester King. Ken Falls up in Connecticut does some similar things, and they do bottled, you know, packaging, not just draft. Uh, Plan B, of course. Um, but yeah, those are threes, kind of yeah. threes. Those, out yeah, threes. Brooklyn has some sure. saisons that. Yeah, you know. and I think you've done stuff at Threes, right? Dan? Yeah, Didn't yeah. You? Actually, we have uh, some of some of the owners of Threes are partners in the restaurant. Oh, so okay. We have a, a good relationship. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's uh, it's interesting when I when I and I mean maybe you can speak to this. The question is like, what is the role of education? What what is the responsibility of a, of a restaurant to also be an educator, right? Like, and when we open this up, we you know when we got started, we were just like, well, what's what is the thing that we don't have to think about, which is why we source these sort of very easy, drinkable, and familiar names. But the question is, you know, should should a restaurant be supporting, should, should a restaurant be furthering an educational process? Is that the responsibility? I don't know. And that's a good question. I think so, yeah. I think, it, I think it, you should be. I mean, obviously, it's a place to go and have fun, but it's also a place, you know, it's a huge learning opportunity yeah. for for educating not just about uh, the food, but also about pairings and other things. And if you and your staff be- can become knowledgeable and, you know, versed in that, you can pass it along to thousands, if not, you know, tens of thousands of people every year. You know, with, with the beer list, I mean, you're, if you're having like a barbecue program, you, you kind of know your flavor profiles. You know, most like, like one good place, uh, John Brown Smokehouse in mm-hmm. Queens, yeah. he actually does have a really great beer list. Like he goes out of his way to have a, a wide yeah, range of craft beers. Yeah, exceptional beer list. Yeah, yeah and, and most barbecue places don't. I mean, you're going to yeah. get by with a good pills and a Shiner Bach and, 
you know, some IPAs. But, but in, as this show progresses, we're going to talk about some of our favorite, for me, beer and food pairings, but in particular some barbecue and beer. Maybe we'll have some ideas for you. I mean, off the top of my head, uh, for many years at the Pig Island event, which you were just at this year, um, good buddy Sam Barbieri, who is a competitive barbecue guy, also owns the Waterfront Ale House. He would greet us every morning with his own head cheese and bottle of Rodenbach, which is a nice Flemish sour Belgian ale. So I would put out there first that you that need to get awesome. a Rodenbach, which comes in bottles, and it's, it's a Flemish sour that goes really well at cutting the fat, hmm. and, and especially in some of the pork products. So... I don't know. Do you agree with me? Yeah, it's just, got a lot yeah. of nice, like, roasty, malty notes, but it's also, like, super acidic and almost like a red wine. Like, it's got some real tannins, I think, too. Yeah, and it's funny. Rather than looking at Texas, Belgium is a country where there's a lot of longstanding beer and food pairing, you know, ideas. And they have a lot of sour beers, and sour beers can help cut real spicy food and real fatty food. So you might want to have – and a lot, a lot of new breweries are making different types of sour beers. So you might want to have a sour component. And that's the other thing. I think that when we approached this, we, we also went to, like, you know, we have to stick to the Stars and Stripes and, and only source domestically because it's barbecue. And you can totally right? do that now. Yeah. You, can make, you can find an American-made Flemish red, I'm sure, fairly easily right now. So, yeah, that wouldn't be too hard to do. Yeah. If someone wants to tweet us, tweet us a, a good American-made Flemish red at, yeah, at Beer Underscore Sessions. Yeah. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes. We're talking uh, beer and barbecue on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we got Daniel Delaney from Brisket Town, Delaney Barbecue. We're talking mostly about Texas barbecue culture. It's kind of fun, and we uh, interjected some of our favorite uh, beer and barbecue pairings. I, I suggested Rodenbach and uh, Head Cheese. And uh, I got a favorite, Jimmy. All right. Uh, Founders Dirty Bastard Scotch Ale with uh, pretty much any kind of barbecue. And what, when have you had that? Or what uh, The first time I had it was at, uh, what's the place near you? Uh, the barbecue place. Mighty Quinn's? Yeah, Mighty, oh. Mighty Quinn's. They always have that beer on draft, and that's the first time I had it on my birthday a few years ago, and I thought it was an exceptional pairing, so I would recommend that one. That sounds good. And there was that cool moment when uh, both uh, Daniel at Brisket Town and uh, uh, Mighty Quinn's were both in this Brisket King in New York event that we do, and Daniel won Judge's Choice, and Mighty Quinn's won the people's choice but that was like that coming of age when yeah you know i never really thought about brisket that much i think i think definitely in new york like people of like kosher or jewish backgrounds grew up with just different types of brisket but for me i, I, I never was really into it it took took my friend uh, jake Schiffman at food network years to twist my arms to put on a brisket event but you know now we're seeing so, so many different people making good brisket it's pretty amazing how that all happened at the same moment right like there was there was clearly a moment four years ago, three and a half years ago, where like so much uh, exploded on the barbecue scene in New York, and that and that you know surely can't be just coincidence, right? It's like, uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. There's I think it's somehow magical that like both us and Mighty Quinns and Fletchers and Billy from hometown and everybody decided that this is the thing that New York needed. And 
I mean, I, I don't, I can't recall another, maybe, maybe like donuts or something, but I can't recall another moment where there was so much emphasis on, on a single, uh, type of food. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's amazing. And, and it's amazing to see, you know, a, a locale like New York, uh, become enthralled with something that just not, was not really part of the history or, I mean, brisket was, but only in the form of, of delis, right? right? The Katz's and Carnegie and, you know, I think it's pretty neat to see how much New Yorkers have not only grown to like it, but have become fanatical about it. Do you think there's a style, Daniel, like a New York City barbecue st- style at it, this point? I mean, I've seen a lot of a few articles about that recently, and it seems like there's some disagreement between uh, people in the barbecue world. So, you know, I um, oh, this is good. What is this? Yeah, I was thinking this. This next so period. sorry, this is not a pumpkin ale. This is a, sm- a sour smoked porter, also from Carton Brewing. Well, I know you hang out with Augie a lot on Steal This Beer, but yeah. Augie's a, one of the better like beer and food pairing guys in the city. He, his claim to frame was at Eleven Madison Park. He had a pairing on the menu. It was like, was it duck? And you remember what it was, Maggie? Yeah, it was, it was the, the duck decoy. And decoy beer with the duck. With the yeah, duck dish, it was yeah. Made with every single, um, every spice that they used to roast the duck with the he used it in his beer yeah and that's great but that's, I was going to say as soon as I taste this it's a little sour then I thought this should go with brisket yeah for sure you yeah. really need this this like sour finish well, when we started sourcing I'll go back to your question but when we started sourcing the beers the the like very simple and, and we I mean oddly enough we actually have been only serving natural wines from the beginning at the restaurant, which is weird that we would, I think, have that emphasis, but then not have the same consideration towards beer until recently. <laughs> I see that a lot. <laughs> uh, but all of the selection, both of beer and wine, was always oriented towards things that felt very drinkable, things that could that could be refreshing, and things that we felt could like just cut through the... It's not just the richness, it's just the, the density of, of eating all this meat. Um, and I think this would go really well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. I think that you really you could have an almost all, all sour beer list. I mean, there's so many new beers like this that have you know I don't know it's probably a kettle sour, something with a little. It sour is a uh, kettle sour, and the name of the beer is really strange. It's called Tuong Brew. Thanks for everything, Julie Brumar, and it's a fabulous sour smoked milk porter. It's a one-off that uh, they made. I have no idea what the background of this is. But. Well, Carton's made some crazy beers that they're, they're, they're food-oriented. You know, he made a panzanella beer mm. where he had uh, cucumbers and tomatoes in it. Really? And the, the grain of the beer was the bread. Got it. And some other crazy ones, cosmonaut-type beer with, he put in powdered ice cream. Astronaut into a, ice cream, yeah. yeah. a Russian imperial style. Are so. they out in New York? No, in uh, New Jersey. Atlantic Highlands uh, near Sandy Hook. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I liked... I liked his, the truffle one, the white oh, truffle Oh, the truffle one. beer, That too, was yeah. amazing. It yep. like no, car- cheers to Augie Carton, man. It's great stuff he's done. And now his, uh, well, his old brewer, Jesse Ferguson, opened up uh, Interboro. Yeah, which was, he was on last week, actually. Yeah, they're, yeah. Gonna, they're making some good beers. But, you know, going back to Texas style, so what do you think? Sour, the sour finish is, is, is and it's especially great. as a wine drinker, oh, great. a lot of people say wine drinkers are drawn to sour beers. Yeah, I, I can I totally see the correlation. So is this guy mostly doing, like, there seems something comical about this right like there's oh for sure yeah it's totally tongue-in-cheek i think but it's delicious i think (laughs) is like the the beer community at this point where the like it's becoming it's like self-aware and and that and that's like really received well yep for sure yeah we should give it a go so uh, (laughs) it's really hard to get you can get get carton in new york from union beer they have it yes yeah texas uh, the question was, is there a trend? Is there a style of barbecue in New York? It's emerging as all you guys open and so evolve. You talk to each of the, the you know, folks that we've, that we're recognizing now in New York as being folk, people that are driving the barbecue scene. And I think that each of us have a very different opinion. I think that, uh, you know, I, I've known for a while that Fletcher's feel strongly that they do Brooklyn barbecue. I think that that's Billy's sense too. I don't. I know that that Hugh over at Mighty Quinn's Barbecue looks at them as and themselves as a fusion between Texas and Carolina. Um, you know, we. I think that I'm the most conservative of the folks in the group. I don't 
personally feel that we have at this point a style of barbecue in New York. I think that we import a lot of things, and I think that that's the history of New York. We're always importing uh, things. I mean, of course, we have some things that are truly ours, but New York has always been a place where we're, where we're borrowing and importing from different cultures and cuisines. And I don't, I don't feel. I mean, in in my mind, saying that there's a New York style of barbecue, and saying that we have that so quickly in a certain sense doesn't do in my mind like not not to be some puritanical you know like barbecue dude but like they've been doing it for hunt for hundreds of years down there and yeah. so to say like after this became popular for a few years i don't know i i don't agree with it i think that it's i think that we we have a long opportunity a long time and a lot of opportunity to really start to articulate our own vernacular for barbecue but i don't i i mean we totally and blatantly do our best to mimic what you find in Texas from the wood we use to how we cook it to our flavor profiles and we're also very like cognizant to not like it's tempting to say that we want to do something with you know a a Thai chili oil or this or that but we're very I'm very like stringent about us only you know adhering to the flavor profiles that you might see in that region as to not sort of like Bastardizing a tradition that we imported. Yeah, let me tell you some of my favorite New York City briskets. Before I had yours, yeah, at Brisket King in New York a few years ago. Um, Years ago, I had an old restaurant, Sarah Jenkins, who's now the chef of Porcena, owner of Porcena. She used to cook at my old restaurant about 12, 14 years ago. Mm. And one day I came in and she just made a braised brisket in the oven. Mm. And we took it out, gave me a piece of brisket with the juice, put it on a piece of bread. And that was, like, perfect. And then sometimes what I find is that that's the, the perfect moment. Then chefs take this dish and have to do something else or they hold it till service. But that was one great moment. And then, um, you know, talk about history with like, Hill Country Barbecue was in New York. Oh, yeah. And the, bar, the pit master, Robbie Richter, yeah, you know, guy. Robbie, he's great. Um, then he went on when, when, when uh, Zach Palaccio opened Fatty Q. Yeah. Robbie was just the barbecue chef there. And I remember being in the yard with him. We just pulled out a fresh brisket again out of his smoker. He sliced it, put a little chili sauce on it, and I had it again fresh. Yeah. You know, and that's that's something for me, those moments that that wasn't the same thing that the restaurant goer would have had for experience. I had it like directly from the chef when they were prepping it out. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that. The steps that restaurants have to go through to, to serve food and put it on your plate, how that changes taste. Well, I think that, you know, uh, there's two. There are two ways to look at what you just said. One is that you you truly had a better product because of the proximity to the cooking time, or you had a better product because in both instances there was a theater around the process of you receiving that food. You you were you're hanging with Robbie in the backyard the illegal backyard of Fatty Kid <laughs> right. as he rips this brisket out of the smoker and he cuts it in, in you know with moths flying whatever like that's that's that that's a that's better than any amount of MSG or salt right like that that experience is amazing and I think that that's actually one of the things that's the, the correlation for me is that it's hard and, and I've learned this you know I I don't think that most people see this publicly, but I think that we've had a huge identity crisis since we opened because, you know, when when I opened, I tried to do my best to mimic what I found in Texas, not be true, not not say, hey, we're in New York, but how do we mimic Texas? Okay, well, let's make people grab a tray, let's make them get in a line, let's let's slice meat, throw it on some butcher paper, make them. And the reality is that for us and for my DNA, that 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 was I, I was ignoring what I wanted the DNA of our restaurant to be until, you know, more than a year in when we finally changed it to a restaurant where people sat down and had, and service. And and that started to finally feel right to me. But, but it is interesting when you import something and, and it's different. So, I mean, so much of importing, so much of the, of the importing of barbecue is also the, the, the lore, the culture, the setting, the smell, the the Texas heat that you just can't get in New York. Part of what makes Franklin delicious is that you waited three hours in a line to get it. Part of what makes Louis Miller delicious is that the walls are tainted with a patina of smoke that hasn't been cleaned in 50 years. And you're, you're not just walking into a, a restaurant like any restaurant. You're walking into truly... Um, a time capsule 
and you're 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 walking through the same doorway that every person for the last hundred or so years have walked has walked through, and that's that is remarkable. And I think that I think that it's it's so interesting and challenging to find this happy medium between you know not creating pastiche but also while honoring a tradition and 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 also recognizing that a huge part of the flavor is is who you're breaking bread with and and what that setting is like. You know, one thing I love about doing the show is that I get a chance to actually sit down with guys like Daniel. You know, we see you in passing, we, you know, we see you at a food event, but it, it, it's really great hearing what you have to say. <laughs> and anything else about this beer, Justin? Because this, this beer, I think, would go great with Daniel's brisket. So this beer was, I'm <clears throat> remembering a little bit of like why it was made in the first place. It was made uh, for a thing called Swayze Day, which is the precursor to Zwanzi Day by Cantillon. So, what's, uh, what's Swayze Day? So Swayze Day is something that Against the Grain Brewery in Louisville, Kentucky, who also does barbecue. They're a barbecue, they're a smokehouse and a brewery. Uh, they do this thing called Swayze Day, which happens the day before Zwanzi Day. So anyone in the beer world knows Zwanzi Day is this huge Cantillon event that happens all around the world. Which is the, the classic sour beer. The classic sour beer from Belgium. Belgium. Um, that goes so, really well with fatty and spicy foods. For sure. Um, but against the grain a few years ago, uh, decided they wanted to do Swayze Day because Zwanzi looks a lot like Swayze, as in Patrick Swayze. And uh, this is the beer that Carton made for Swayze Day that year, this year. Uh, and I think it must be some reference to a uh, Patrick Swayze movie, but I, it's lost on me, like most of what Augie does. So. Well, that's a good, but it's a, a little sour pour, so that, that's a good style. And, you know, what are some other s- sour beers? I know that Single Cut was making some kettle sours. Who else in New York has, has made, like, Long Island City I think Beer everyone Project? everyone does at this point, yeah, LAC Gre- Green Beer Project. Uh, Greenpoint does a lot of kettle sours. Those are really simple beers. Um, that uh, you know they're using lactobacillus in the kettle uh, to quickly sour. Peak in the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. does a simple sour. Simple sour, yeah. So, so uh, I'm sorry, just because I'm totally ignorant. What is it that? It, it, what is it that makes it sour? How does this happen? Uh, so, for for most kettle sours, you're using lactobacillus, which is a bacteria that makes, uh, say, yogurt. A little okay. tart, you know. It's the same bacteria. Sure, sure, sure. So you're pitching that into a ke- into the uh, boil kettle, brew kettle, and letting it sit for a while. The pH drops, and then you boil it off, and that kills all the bacteria, so you don't have to worry about infecting your brew house. And you might let your mash, which is like your cooked grain mm-hmm. juice and stuff, you might let you that sit a little You can use a acidulated malt, too, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of techniques, but yeah. the idea is the end result is, like, the palate, it becomes, it looks, works well with, you know, fatty foods. Yep. And there's a lot of others. I mean, Goza is one of our favorite styles from Germany. Yep. Um, Same thing, lactobacillus and Yeah, caucus. Westbrook's making a Goza. There's a lot of good beers that you just ask for some sour beers that might really fit your There's so many out profile. there now, local and, you know, nationally, too. Yeah. We're gonna keep talk- I'm going to come back and talk about some other people I know that are working with really interesting food and beer pairings. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Maggie. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's heritageradionetwork.org. Check us out. Become a member. Sponsor us. There's a lot going on. Over 30 shows. Farm Report. Great cheese shows. Chef shows. And Daniel, you were just on a show not too long ago. Do you remember which one it was? I don't. It was some, do you know who the host looked like? I, well, I think, I mean, Aaron was here. It was, it was with Aaron Fairbanks. Maybe it was the Farm Report? Probably. Yeah. yeah. And what were you talking about? Just about you. <laughs> you know... Believe it or not, I get a lot of questions about brisket and barbecue. And I and it <laughs> imagine was, it, that. Yeah, right. It was largely about that. I think it was I, I also opened a, a fried chicken shop recently, and so I think that it was a lot of a lot of what we, oh, were, we should talk about fried chicken you know, yeah. we were doing was was about yeah. that. Yeah. So what yeah, what about fried chicken and beer? Remember for <laughs> that, that that one time destroyed the Boston Red Sox the year of two thousand eleven, they were in first place and the pitchers apparently were drinking having pitchers of beer and fried chicken in the clubhouse and they just kept losing. Well, remember for WNYC uh, Craft Beer Jam uh, two years ago, and Augie was on for Carton Brewing, and he his ideal pairing was cold fried chicken. 
yeah. with his beer. Yep. So let's go into the fried chicken for <laughs> sure. <laughs> So what, why chicken? You know, so there's brisket in Texas. Everyone's open chicken places. Momofuko, Billy Durney's hometown barbecue. You guys, I mean, I love chicken. We all just copy each other. That's that's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> there's no there's no original thought anymore. No, you know, uh, for me, I don't I don't really consider myself a chef. I think that what we what I do and what we've done is we're tinkerers. We like to look at things that are sort of. Uh, you know, difficult to do. And, uh, in the, in the first case, it was figure out how to cook brisket in New York city. And, uh, and, and it was also for me, a lot of what informs what I do is, is like pulling from historical moments in food in the United States. That's what I really like. I like diners. I like old fried chicken shops. I like boudin, you know, shacks. I like barbecue huts and, you know, anyway, so, there wasn't any place doing fried chicken that was of the style that I really loved, which were, which was a style that is a, is a wet batter dip chicken that I found at some places in new Orleans. Nobody at all in New York was doing this. Everyone's doing chicken where they dredge it in flour and they fry it very traditional Southern style fried chicken. But there were some places that I had down in Louisiana that were doing this, this model where they dip the chicken in, in a batter. It was like a beer batter type thing? Well, there's no beer in it, but it, but it, but it, yeah, I mean, it was like a beer batter, like a tempura kind of deal, and then they fry it, and it has a very different texture. It's much lighter. It's very, uh, it, it sort of has like a glassy texture that when you bite through it, it's, I think, very satisfying. A lot of layers of, of crunch, almost like bite, biting into like a, like a, like a Butterfinger or something. You're, you're penetrating through these, you know, this multitude of layers, which is, I think, really so good. I can taste the chicken. So, taste this beer. I want now you as the okay. as the right. chicken guy. As the expert. What do you taste in this beer? What what flavors do you taste? Because I think this beer would go well with this beer. Is pretty delicious. I'm surprised that it's as good as it is. It's a pumpkin cream ale. Another one from Carton. I didn't mean to shill for Carton today, but that's always <laughs> in my fridge. So. I'm glad you brought beer, and because uh, not everybody showed up for the show. But um, I, first thing I did, I taste the hops. Yep. And and the fruit, so I, I didn't know. I didn't think it was. I thought it was actually like a fruity IPA. I think I, I also get a lot of, especially like on the finish, a lot of sort of like anise or licorice flavors, sort of like the the dark black uh, aftertaste of, of like eating some some you know really dank black licorice. You know, you know that that sort of. I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of subtle flavors in there. But. So it's um it's it's made with uh, roasted pumpkin that's been. It says touched with uh, orange oil, like from an orange, uh, pink peppercorns, and candied ginger. Mm-hmm. So you got so. all those flavors. But, the, yeah, the fruit came. There was definitely fruit in it. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think this would go well with your chicken, or do you, would you like something against that sour on the finish? I mean, I, I, think, it would go, I think it would go really well uh, we, we, in, in this in the instance of the chicken, there's a lot of heat in it. We have a lot of cayenne. We have citric acid. We have uh, MSG. We have a few other things in it, and, and <laughs> it creates it creates a very it's a very rich, but it, but also very uh, sharp flavor. And I think that there's this has sort of both like a, I like I, I think I like the 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 sort of more uh, less astringent quality, maybe almost more more buttery or something about this than. And I think that that would actually, where the where the brisket is all fat, the chicken, at least the yeah. way that we cook it, is. is no, I was really thinking this is it just sharp. worked out. I think this would be a good fried chicken. So MSG, I know what it means. We're not going to say it on the air because it's bad word. Okay, but is if it, you had some fun, I said not a bad you, word. You, you're going not MSG. Give us give us a statement that sounds like fun with those three letters. I, I you're really witty today. You can have some fun with it. Might be like, why 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 is it a bad word? <laughs> Because for years, monosodium glutamide is like whatever it is. is It's been like anathema. You walk into Chinese restaurants and say, hey, I want, do you have MSG in your food? No MSG. I mean, everyone that I go out with. That's old school, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. so it's over now. It's back. Most millennials are not afraid it's, of it's MSG. A, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I think, I, you know, David Chen gave this great TED talk about MSG, totally debunking it. And, and I think a lot of people have at this point. It's an amazing thing. And the reality is that basically everything that you buy at any fast food restaurant, if you ever go to a fast food restaurant, has MSG in it. Like every single thing. So like my sweet goodness? My sweet, it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh sweet. See, I got you going. <laughs> MSG, baby. Tonight. No. <laughs> um, 
Well, should we, not, should we not do that? Should we omit it? No. No, I, we have to keep it uh, in. I think well, so it's like anything. It's, it's like putting, you know, powdered candy sugar in a beer to build its Well, someone should make profile. a beer with MSG, and we'll see what happens. I bet Augie Carton will. <laughs> Augie, but, if you're listening. <laughs> but for you, I mean, so, so MSG is, is, it's a staple of flavors. Every, we, I, I thought we, people stopped using MSG. We use it in our brine. No, no. Everybody uses it. Everybody uses it. Nobody talks about it. Everybody uses it. It's a little dirty secret. I mean, it's great. And and everybody everybody that's listening to this should go out tonight when they're shopping for craft beer and buy a jar of Accent and put that into anything. <laughs> I made a pumpkin pie at home the other day and put MSG in it. It truly is like crap. So what, what, there's a, what's a brand? There's a brand called Accent. Accent, but Seasoning. you can get. But I, you know, the the like scary ones with the Chinese writing and like the alarming red label is is you know my go to. I, I the biggest jar of spices I have in my house is MSG. Let's do a quick quick talk about some really great food and beer pairings that we've had this summer. I got to meet a guy named Jensen Cummings, who you should meet. He's based out of Colorado, and he was toured the country. And did different dinners, but he's developing a whole cuisine based around using brewed, you know, f- ingredients from brewing. And the, the stuff I really liked he was doing he was doing like crazy triple fermented kimchi, which mm. seemed really intense and, and and maybe too intense flavored. But a little bit of that with a little bit of like a pork belly is mm-hmm. a perfect pairing. Oh, yeah. So I know in, in barbecue you're you're using like some spicy pickles. You yeah, know, but Justin, anything else like that, that that struck you that you know it, it it a perfect balance where there's something spicy or or, or, or really you know sour that's accenting. I had a um, a few years ago. I had a dish. It was like duck with Chinese five spice, and there was a beer. I think it was a uh, Belgian quad, which is a huge, sweet, you know, ten percent alcohol beer that went really really well with that. With that dish, and then you know Chinese five spices, it probably has MSG in it, but it's also Sichuan peppercorns and clove and ginger and other things, and it was it was a really good pairing. Yeah. And then Maggie, you know, you, you worked at the Nomad in Manhattan for a while. I still do. You still do, but um, t- have you had any particular like food and beer pairing or, or drinking food pairing that that's on the menu there that we should know about? Because I know there's a lot of cool things that go on. There. I mean, our draft lift list obviously always changes but the best thing is our um staple chicken the with the black truffle foie gras and brioche stuffed under the skin that's my spiel <laughs> and uh it's served with uh, brooklyn brewery's la poulet which is only served at the nomad and made for us so that is has to be the most classic what is that beer. style of beer maybe? it's a brown ale okay so it's like a truffled it's a whole roast chicken? It's a whole... Yeah, yes. You can Google it and see my hands in a lot of chicken-holding <laughs> pictures in our giant cast-iron stubs. But it's uh, a whole roasted chicken with black truffle foie gras and brioche stuffed under the skin before they roast it. And then you show it to the people before they eat it. It's part of the, part of the process, part of the experience. And then the chefs carve it up for you. And you get your plate with your breast on it, and then you each have your own little cast iron pot with the dark meat topped with brown butter sabayon, crispy fried chicken skin, and crispy Brussels leaves. That sounds really good. Another part of the spiel. So are you doing anything to top that, Daniel? Well, you know, and then it comes with La Poulet, the Brooklyn. So yeah, it's a, it's a sour brown ale. What kind of brown ale is it? Just a no, no, no sourness in it. It's, just a brown ale seasoned with pairing ingredients of the chicken, so it's very like it's like it's a an du- easy duck and beer, decoy yeah. at EMP. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, they are sisters of restaurants. You know, this got me thinking of the classic thing that people make called beer can chicken. Why we talked about oh, it? Yeah. Why we didn't talk about it before? I, I don't know. But the idea is that you take a, a can of beer, cut it off, and you. Lodge it into you jam it into the bottom of a chicken, yep. and then you smoke it. And the idea is that as the chicken heats up, the moisture the, of the beer starts to steam and infuse both flavor uh, and moisture into the into the meat, so it doesn't dry out while the exterior gets smoked. Have you made it before? I've made it before, but I've only used. Budweiser. Like I've only used. You know what I mean? Like that's all I, I use when I make it. Too. But I, but I wonder. If if we would see some some interesting you know flavors Maybe. from from yeah, that would be a great experiment. Oh, I've absolutely yeah. asked that question for one of our caller questions on the show before. I said, "What beer is best used with beer can chicken?" So maybe a brown ale. What about that? 
Wow. Yeah, brown That'd ale be- or uh, maybe even like a saison or something a little tartar. Yeah. Do you do any cooking with chick- with beer at the restaurant? Um, I have over the years. I mean, when I, when I opened Jimmy's Number 43, a lot of my recipes were inspired by, like, Marcello Hazan. And my first restaurant was more Italian, so I cooked with wine. Mm. And I just sub- substituted beer for wine in everything. I put beer into my tomato sauce, beer into my chili, beer into finishing sauces in the pan. And I still believe in it. One of my favorite recipes, go to ilikepig.com. We still have the <laughs> Pig Island cookbook. It's a very simple thing. You start with, like, you know, in a pan with saute little onions, bay leaf, and bacon, you know, not in that order. But then you just put in a splash of, of, of a beer. It can be almost any beer, a hoppy mm-hmm. beer or brown mm-hmm. beer. Let it reduce a little bit. Toss it with pasta with some fresh cream. Mm-hmm. You know, but those flavors co- come out. And I think it's cooking with beer and wine. They're very similar. People will, will disagree about techniques, but... Honestly, it's it's liquid with flavor that's evaporating. Mm-hmm. You know, the same way you, you can improvise a little cider vinegar. I mean, I feel like many different liquids can be used in cooking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm willing to experiment. I don't know about you. Yeah. Are you cooking? Yeah. Are you cooking with wine or beer in your places? Well, not in the. I mean, not in the restaurants. I mean, that isn't to say that we we're not drinking sometimes while we're cooking, but it's rarely going <laughs> into the food, especially at the barbecue. But at home, all the time. Uh, I mean, constantly. I, and I cook I, tr- for somebody that works in this industry. I would say that most of my meals are home cooked at this point, and uh, and always I'm always using. I'm, I mean, usually using wine. Recently, I, I bought a bunch of ciders. I've been like trying to get more into uh, like the sort of Champenois style of fermentation for cider. Is that the right word? Yeah. I mean, sparkling I champagne sparkling, style. Yeah. Right. But like the large format ones that are, that have like more funk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've been, and, and even last night I was like making a ragu and I added some to it. It was great. I mean, it's cider week at NYC has started on Friday. So it's a good time to talk about cooking with, I feel the same way with cider, but also with beer, um, you know, beer is so, so much of it is water, you know, the, the original ingredients, mm-hmm. that a lot of things, if I'm stirring a sauce or a soup, I need, I need to lighten it up. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. put a splash of beer in. Same way you could with a cider and the same with wine. So, you know, there's more to it. But now, he's, but, but for you to talk about cooking with beer, and when you're going to be expanding your beer program. We are, yes. And, and, and it's conti- I mean, it's continued to grow. The chicken place, it's 200 square feet, and we have, a, a, I think, five or six beers in that little... Uh, restaurant in midtown and then the barbecue places i think we're now like 20 beers deep on the menu and then because we don't have because we don't have any draft system what we're just doing is buying literally like two cases or three cases of a bunch of avant-garde beers yeah 80 percent of our inventory is still you know like abita and and these sort of uh things that people want to just like pound but for the first time we we have now you know this sort of like reserve selection of 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 stuff that never had before and and it's exciting to the people that have come and have had, are, are are only expecting to get like only expecting beer to be an afterthought at a barbecue restaurant which i think it often is uh so you know it's 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 a great educational process for both myself and for them sure and justin let's just do a quick roundup what's a, a beer that you would recommend for him to serve a with brisket and B with fried chicken. Uh, let's see with brisket. Yeah, I mentioned it before. Uh, Founders uh, Dirty Bastard is a really good beer, um, and it comes in bottles. I think maybe even cans now, so you can buy a package. You don't have to buy draft. For fried chicken, saison uh, Dupont I think is a good great beer one. Too. Yeah, I always like the classics. Yeah. Maggie, any any suggestions for his uh, food and beer program? Oh, I love the Transbender saison right now. Oh yeah, that's that. a good one. Is amazing, and we have it at the Nomad from uh, Long Island City. So yeah. super local and really, really delicious. Yeah, it's the first pour they have like on the re- reserve list at maybe not the reserve some list at Eleven Madison Park when I went there <laughs> with my sister for my six-hour dining experience. They greeted us with transmitters special. That sounds great. Yeah, and I would I would be a pitch for the new Interborough, which is out in Bushwick. Um, I just had last week a special harvest ale that he made with mostly hops and uh, malts from upstate. I would say that would go with your fried chicken. You should get to know Inneburg, guys. It's also super fresh, local. 
You know, there's enough hop and malts to, to, to go with. And I'm sticking with Rodenbach or a, Fle- a Flemish red style for, mm-hmm. like, the briskets and, and other, like, fatty meats. We'll, so. we'll have to get them on the menu. We'll make yeah, you, you got to get Interbar. They're really – there's so many great new breweries here. You should probably just have a few more. You know, that'll, sh- that'll shine. And good luck to you in the future. I know you guys Thank have you. big plans. Thank I was you. really proud of you guys at Pig Island this year. And one last thing, the boudin that you made – Tell us that recipe because it was awesome. You, you served boudin at, and it, it was so you could squeeze it out of the casing onto bread. Yeah, we weren't sure what to do, and what we decided to go with is this sort of Cajun style boudin sausage. And what's what's very unusual about it because I mean, there's also obviously like French boudin, which is uh, you know a poached sausage, but uh, and in this case, what's interesting is that you're you're grinding up pork liver, pork shoulder, and also, uh, and you're adding, uh, you're poaching that, and then you're adding cooked rice to it. So the whole thing is cooked before it goes into the casing, and then and then the sausage itself gets poached again in the casing. And so, at the end, the the texture is is a lot lo- more loose than than you know a, a more traditionally stuffed stuffed sausage. And so after you heat it, the the process of eating it because it, because the casing is is soft is usually extruding it kind of like gogurt into your mouth. People seem to really like it at the, at oh, the yeah. event. I, I, it was risky because, you know, I think a lot of people are not super familiar or comfortable with eating liver and having that sort of irony flavor. Um, but everybody was stoked. It was great. No, I was really impressed to you go, out, go outside of brisket and fried chicken. So yeah, yeah. You did a great job. Hey, coming up, Cider Week NYC. I, I'm pr- pretty sure that every show on this network will be doing some kind of cider show next week. We, we've been over the last year doing a lot of special recordings with great cider makers. And this week and next, Dave will be posting a whole bunch of Beer Sessions Radio cider shows. So keep listening. And um, that's it. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to, to Justin, Maggie, and Daniel for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. And thanks for being our producers, Justin and Maggie. You guys yep. rock it out. And engineer David Tattashore, thanks for listening. See you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo, woo, woo. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.